Our gospel lesson for today, the 20th Sunday after Pentecost, comes from Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he was saying. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere. And you teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin that is used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Over the course of the last few years, I've had the opportunity to travel internationally a few different times, and I have found myself in different countries. Now, admittedly, most of these different countries I've gone to have been in the setting of a cruise ship and landing just at a cruise port somewhere down in the Caribbean. And when you're down there, everything, you can just use your credit card and, and everything is fine. There's no, all the exchange rates happen uh, automatically. There's nothing to worry about. But there was one time here a few years back when I actually found myself in a foreign country and I needed to think a little bit about the, the local currency, the local type of money. Now, this was actually in Israel or in the Holy Land of all places. And that's just a coincidence, but it's true. And the local currency are shekels. That's the name of the thing. Mostly it's coins, though there is some paper money as well. But considering all the different places that we went to while we were there for the period of time we were there, most of them are pretty probably considered touristy. Everyone would also take American dollars or American money. So as we were there, whether we had gone into a shop or if we were dealing with a, a local merchant or even going into a store or whatever, um, we, would, we would go to pay, and they would usually tell us what the, the price was in shekels, and then we would ask them American dollars, and that would be okay, that would be acceptable, they'll all accept American dollars there. But you could tell there was a little bit of a difference between those who commonly dealt with the exchange rate and those who didn't really ever deal with it. Now, our, our guides had told us about the exchange rate, and, and it was a bit of a complex one. It wasn't, it, you could figure it out, but it was, it was not easy to just rattle off the, like a one to two exchange rate. It was a little more complicated than that. But you could tell the folks who dealt with it on the regular. And they could say the price in shekels, and when you would ask American dollars, they would quote you, oh, it's this in American dollars, and it was usually pretty accurate. But then some of those other folks that we would deal with, some of those other merchants or whatever, you could tell when they didn't really know, because you would say American dollars, and they would kind of get this glassy-eyed look, and then they would throw out some random number, and if you thought about it for two seconds, you're like, no, that number's not right. I bring all of this up because of the idea of both money as well as the idea of money exchange. And I want you to tuck that in the back of your heads as we consider this passage from Matthew and the gospel for today. Now, Matthew's gospel and our assigned gospel lessons over the course of the last several weeks, whether we have actually shared them in the setting of worship or not, have all featured the different encounters that Jesus had over the course of the last week of his life, what we call Holy Week. 
And it all started when he came in, what we call the triumphal entries. He's coming into Jerusalem in the week leading up to the Jewish festival of Passover. And everyone's cheering and everyone's all excited that he's coming in and, and blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord and Hosanna and all that's going on. Well, the very first thing that Jesus does is he goes into the temple and he takes a look around and he sees a bunch of people who are selling animals and that's animals used for sacrifice, for sacrifice purposes. That was a part of their worship at the time. And they're also exchanging money so that the people who are coming in can actually utilize the right local currency and they exchange it for whatever uh, local or whatever their home currency is from where they're from, because people are coming in for the festival from all over the place. So these things that Jesus sees are actually intended for a good thing. They're intended to help people be able to worship correctly, but what he views there is how that's been twisted, how people are using it for personal gain and exploiting the, 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 these, these necessities of the people. And Jesus drives them out. It's what we call the cleansing of the temple. So the very first thing that we see Jesus do is stand up and, 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 and push back against the way that the status quo has come to take advantage of people. How those with some semblance of authority, and in this case, it's the authority to have what the folks need for religious purposes, he pushes back against that. Now this continues over the course of the week. And we have story after story after story of Jesus being in the temple, of interacting with people, and some group who has some semblance of authority keeps coming up to him with some trick, some challenge, some, some way to try and discredit him. And there's all kinds of different groups of people that come up. Sometimes it's the chief priests. Sometimes it's the scribes. Sometimes it's the elders of the people. Sometimes it's the Pharisees or the Sadducees. And the same thing happens over and over and over again. They all seem to have this idea that we don't kind of like this guy. He's kind of pushing back against the assumption of authority that we hold. And so we're going to challenge him and we're going to see if we can discredit him. And the same thing happens today. And today we hear it's the Pharisees and the Herodians. Well, let me tell you a little bit about these two groups and why this is an odd parent. The Pharisees are, of course, I tend to call them the religious elite, but they were a grouping of people who very strictly adhered to one interpretation of Jewish law. And they were considered to be pretty elite. They followed the law to the letter of the law, and they did everything right, so they're, they're the ones, they've got authority from that standpoint. Religious authority. Now, on the flip side, we've got the Herodians. Herodians were people who were loyal to Herod, to King Herod, and folks, what you need to remember about King Herod and the whole Herod family, this particular one is a son of Herod the Great, but Herod the Great had been installed by the Roman government. So they were loyal to Rome. Even though they were technically Jewish because that whole family had converted to Judaism, they were basically Jewish in name only, and they were a representative government loyal to the Roman oppressors. So we've got the local religious authorities, and we've got representatives of the government and they're working together. What's really interesting about this is most often these two groups would be very suspicious of each other. It would be like saying that, that, that a, a Hawkeye fan and a Cyclone fan could agree on something, which normally we don't if you're familiar with Iowa football <laughs> here in the state of Iowa. But that's just, that, that's just kind of a side note. But these two groups that normally would have nothing to do with each other, normally they're very antagonistic towards each other and very suspicious of one another, all of a sudden get together. They work together to try and trip up Jesus. 
And they come to him with this idea. They think it's kind of a very cut and dry question, and they think they've really got him. They think that this is going to be a yes or no answer. It's going to be one way or the other way. And no matter how Jesus answers, it's going to get him in trouble. Teacher, we know that you teach all truth and that you show no difference to anyone and no partiality. So all that you teach is true. So tell us true. Is it lawful to pay the poll tax to the emperor? That's the translation that we shared today just kind of said taxes to the emperor. But what they're actually saying is the poll tax. A poll tax was very simply when you would come to a Roman checkpoint, you would have to pay this tax to go on through and keep traveling. And again, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they think they've got him. Is it lawful, yes or no? Because either way Jesus answers, he's going to get himself in hot water. If Jesus says that, yes, it's lawful to pay the tax, he's saying basically, yes, it's good to pay the tax. Should you pay the tax? And Jesus says, yes. He is saying that, yes, we should be paying to support the oppressive force which has taken over our land and ultimately controls us and ultimately is... is um, lording it over us is 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 oppressing us so it's good it's lawful to support our oppressors and if jesus says yes to this well now he's in hot water because uh, to support the oppressors means you're supporting the people who are oppressing your neighbors your brothers and sisters your fellow jewish neighbors so that would be bad because that breaks the ten commandments that tell us that we're supposed to love our neighbors so if he answers that way he's in trouble but on the flip side, if he says, no, it's not lawful and we should follow our own Jewish law, which says we honor God alone and we should not support our oppressors, but that we should, be, we should rightfully be ruling ourselves, well, then he's going to be in political trouble because they're going to run off and tell Herod, who's going to run off and tell the Romans, and now he's in trouble that way. So they think they've got him. They've got him between a rock and a hard place. We've got him set up so good. But like he always seems to do in ways that I cannot even understand or fathom, Jesus always does his little Jesus thing and he takes whatever controversy is going on, whatever question they're posing, and he flips it on their ear and he begins to show them something different. Same thing happens here. So they present him with this question and he's like, why do you do this? Why do you test me, you hypocrites? He sees through their hypocrisy. He knows what they're up to. And he says, you know what? Show me the coin. Show me the coin that you use to pay the tax. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. We got one right here. And they pull one out of their pocket. Here's the thing that we need to remember. Keep in mind, where are they at? They're in the temple. They're in the temple. They're in the place that is of God, the house of God. That's where they are. And that setting's important because think about the coin. Jesus asked them, whose face is on there and whose inscription? And they say, well, it's the emperor's, and this would be Emperor Tiberius. And the inscription itself would have been, would have been Tiberius, son of Caesar Augustus, son of the living God. That was how the Romans thought of him. The, the emperor was the son of a god, small g. So they've got the face of a god, of a divine being, divine being. And they've got the inscription saying this is a divine being. So basically, they have a graven image. They have an idol because this is something that is broadcasting a false god. Where are they at? They're in the temple. So Jesus is showing them, hey, guys, seriously, you've got the coin in your pocket. You're carrying an idol in your pocket, and you are in the place where God is. Really? Jesus goes on from there and he talks about 
Give to God what is God's and give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But I think what Jesus is really pointing out here is a tension that lies so deep that we might not even be aware of it. Now, we hear, it says, Jesus is aware of their hypocrisy, that they're trying to test him. But I think there might be hypocrisy that they were aware of, that they knew that they were trying to trip him up and that they were trying to pull a fast one on him just to make him look bad. And at the same time, they have this other brokenness that lies so deep that they're not even aware of it. They are so used to the, the status quo. They're so used to the, the, the way that things were that they were carrying around this coin. And in their heads, it's like, I just got to have the coin in case I come up to a checkpoint. So I got to have that. That's the way the world works right now. And yet, at the same time, they're breaking the most important commandment of you shall have no other gods before me. All at the same time. What really Jesus is pointing out here, what I think he is illustrating, and I think this is important for us to remember as well, is that there is a tension that lies between life and that which is of God. But let me be clear as I say that. Let me unpack this just a little bit more. In some of the original language, there is a word that actually talks about the way that we are a part of society, that we are a functional member of the society that we are a part of. As fellow human beings in this time and space and place, we're all part of a society. And there are ways that we contribute to it, whether financially or otherwise. And it's the work of our grouped together people, this grouped together society. The word that that actually applies to this, brace yourselves because you might cringe just a little bit, it's politic. Politic means the grouping of people, the body of people. And to do the work of the politic is to do this work, this work that we're a part of simply because we're members of society. Now, to truly use the word politic, if you find yourself cringing, it's because we live here in the United States in the reality of a two-party system. And to truly be political does not mean being partisan, even though we tend to mix those two things together. But to be a member of the society that we are a part of, that's to be political. And folks, there are aspects of this that are just woven into our daily lives we don't even think about. You like how the garbage man comes by on Tuesdays and picks up your garbage, takes it away? You don't really even have to think of it as long as you got your can out. You like having roads to drive on? You like how, even though construction is a pain, you like how uh, there's aspects that they get paid to maintain the roads and they take care of the potholes and all of that stuff? These are two examples. But this is something that's political. It's the work of the functioning society, the work of the body, the politic itself. And maybe, just maybe, just maybe, what Jesus is pointing out in this odd little back and forth is he's saying that there are aspects of life that are just simply life because we are fellow human beings walking around at the same time in the same place, and we all add our little part to this society. But he also says at the same time, give to God what is God's. And I think in honoring what Jesus has taught us about what does it mean to follow God, What does it mean to follow the commandments? What does it mean to do all this? Love God and love our neighbor. And what's that look like? Well, it means honoring God. And it means honoring the fellow fellow parts of creation that we all are. Honoring one another. That's why we do it. Because we are all created by God. 
We're all created in the same way. And so as we think about all of this, all of this different stuff that Jesus is pointing out, all of these ways that he points out the, the, the down deep brokenness of the overarching system that creates some sort of semblance of authority and power over here that usually falls to I'm right and I'm strong and that's why I have authority and you have to listen to me because of that. Jesus continues to push back against that. And we hear about it, as we've said, over and over and over and over again throughout all of his ministry, but especially in this setting of the last week of his life. And ultimately, when all of these different powers feel so threatened by him, so threatened by the way that he's saying there is a different way to be in this world that we're a part of, and it's a threat to that power that folks, they killed him for it. That's why Jesus died, ultimately. But what God has somehow accomplished through that death and resurrection of Jesus is to place a claim upon each of us. A claim that we all share because God has claimed humanity as beloved children, calling us good, and not just good, but very good, from the get-go. And maybe, just maybe, whatever good news that we can find in this oddball little passage is this reminder of the tension that we live in. We live in this tension between day-to-day life and where's God in all of it. And folks, I think God is present in all of it, but there are certain aspects that we just do because we are members of society. We may not like it, or we may like it, or we may not even think about it, or we might be hyper aware of it, but this tension exists. The existence of the tension between things that are honoring to the one who loves and claims us, and the tension of things that just are because we're alive. I don't know what you do with that today, folks. I really don't, other than to be aware that Jesus is pointing out the continuous ways of the brokenness that, that lies perhaps right at the surface and the, that same brokenness that also lies down, down deep, both within our reality as a whole and within us. But the glorious thing about all of this, the glorious reminder about all of this is giving to God what is God, is honoring and praising God for the fact that God has first claimed us. We are responding back to God out of joy and, and thanksgiving and honor to the one who has first loved us and has loved us from the get-go. May we remember that. May we hold on to that, and especially right now in the midst of so much tension that's in our lives. Because this tension that we're talking about, this just ongoing tension between things over here and things over here, This ongoing tension between the idea that there's a black and a white response to something, that it's this or it's this. No, folks, we live in the tension. We live in the gray area. That's where we are. And yet God is with us always in the midst of it, whether it feels like it over here or whether it doesn't feel like it over here. The promise is that God is with us always and loves us and claims us.